Hi, welcome to the Extra Podcast. This is Jeff Buckdom. I am your host today. Uh, we're, this is one of our nobodies podcasts, not because the people we're speaking to are nobodies, but in the world's eyes, they might be. In God's eyes, very much not so. Mm-hmm. Today, we have another one of our elders. His name's Phil Routley. Phil, it's really great to have you join us. Good afternoon. Great to be here. Yeah. Phil, you've, uh, you've lived quite a few years as a pastor in churches. Mm-hmm. You became an elder at Northview, how many years ago? Six years ago. Six years ago. Yeah. And you have been involved in all sorts of different kinds of ministries. I would really love to talk to you about your story and how you came to faith in Christ and all that sort of stuff. And then Mm -hmm. kind of at the end, talk a little bit about the work you're doing now with transitional pastor work, which is taking churches, as I understand, taking churches that are without pastors and who have a lot of trouble and making something out of it, at least setting it on on, on on a platform from which they can move forward with a new person. That's a lot of what it's about. It's getting ready for that next step, and they're at that point looking for who's going to be the new person to give leadership. Good. You, where'd you grow up? Peterborough, Ontario. Oh, just, one of those, eh? Just north of Toronto, but not quite in the center of the universe. Just on the edge. <laughs> just, you can see it from there. Pretty much. Yeah. yeah. So, are you? Are you? Do you consider Ontario your home? Not anymore. No, we, we've been out West for about 25 years now. Okay. And as soon as we moved to BC, Ontario could never be our permanent home again. We were in Alberta for a few years, but um, when we got the opportunity to move back to the lower mainland, we love it here. It's where we're going to stay. Did you grow up in the church? Yeah. My family was always very involved in Salvation Army Church, Peterborough, Ontario. Uh, my dad very much involved with the uh children's and youth ministry there for like 35 years of his life. My mom kind of on the side of that, but a huge help, both involved in many of the ministries of the Salvation Army, both very musical. And that went back several generations, actually, that they've been involved with the Salvation Army. So you grew up in in basically in the like going whenever the doors were open. (laughs) Pretty much. Yeah. Yeah. Three or four events every Sunday and, and so on. Um, when I was about seven, had the opportunity during one of the Sunday school meetings to give my life over to Jesus. And my mom came and sat beside me and said, Philip, isn't it about time you gave your life to Jesus? And I knew that I was the world's biggest sinner that you could possibly imagine at that point. <laughs> and I'll never forget the feeling after that and getting up the next morning to go to school and feeling like I had the best shower in the world and just felt all clean and it was a brand new beginning. I wish it stayed as clean, yeah, totally. but, <laughs> but it was a great way to start. That's great. Seven, yeah. seven years old. Yeah. So really, uh, you know, uh, born and bred in the church, grew up where there were a period in your life in your early days where you, where you uh, doubted or wondered if you were going to continue in the faith? Not really. There were times when I walked closer to Jesus than I did at some other times. In particular, through my teen years, you start looking at things and pushing the envelope a little bit, but never that seriously. Um, always very much involved in ministry at the church. That's great. You decided that you'd become a pastor at some point in there, didn't you? Yeah. Um, I had taught school for a number of years, and a friend and I then started a music teaching business, Um which became the, a full-line music store. We were the rock and roll store of Kingston, Ontario back in the day. I played drums and taught them. I played brass instruments. My partner played uh, guitar, and we hired other people to teach keyboards and so on. And then it expanded with Fender and Gibson and Pearl and all, all of the big names. 
when everything was still analog. There was no digital anything at that point. It was just coming into it. And then God very, made it very clear to Elsie and I that he was calling us into full-time ministry, uh, pastoral ministry through the Salvation Army. And uh, so we entered college in Toronto, spent two years there kind of water skiing through the scriptures mm-hmm. and learning more about how to do it. And then we had the opportunity to pastor a church in downtown Toronto for six years. What was the name of that church? Uh, Riverdale Core at that time, Salvation Army terminology. Mm-hmm. Um, not there anymore, but uh, that's the case with lots of little churches to begin with. Yeah. Learned a lot, moved from there to, you know, Salvation Army transfers you around. Went from there to Hamilton, to London. How do they transfer you around? Do they just decide when it's when the time's up, or do you have a period of time that you stay at the... Literally every, when we were there, May, now it's April, you find out if you're moving at the end of June. Really? And they tell you where it is that you're going. Wow. Yeah, well, think military, right? You, you go yeah. at the beck and call of the, the commander. So who's the commander is who, the denominational president or? Um, it's called commissioner okay. for Canada. Gordon, Commissioner Gordon? No, not Commissioner okay. Gordon. No, that would be Batman you're thinking yeah. of. No, um, different ones through the years. Um, there's one international leader, the, the general, mm-hmm. um, who is responsible for it all. And then each country, each territory has its own territorial commander and uh, typically having the rank of commissioner. It all comes down to their responsibility working with the team of people. That's what first brought us out to Langley. Um, Langley was the first Salvation Army uh, contemporary church, that there was no intent ever of it having a brass band that was going to provide the accompaniment for most of the singing or anything like that. It was a very contemporary approach in, was that in the early way that, 90s. Was that the way it was in the in the uh, Salvation Army Church, that the, a brass band would be? Almost always. Wow. Yeah. We did not have one in our first church, and people So, like, other say, churches would have an organ. You had the brass band. Well, it's a portable organ. Yeah. <laughs> no, our first church in downtown Toronto, They people would say, how are things going? They're going great. Well, how big's your band? <laughs> well, we don't have one. Oh. And the look is, I thought you said things were going great. Right. But- the world moves on, and there's not a lot of brass bands out there. I doubt if there's many that you can download through iTunes. No. I'm sure they're there, but uh, yeah, it's not a big seller anymore. No, that's great though. Did yeah. you meet? Where'd you meet your wife? Um, at a Salvation Army camp. Okay. She she grew up in Kingston. She's originally from Nova Scotia. She was working there. Really? I was there as a student. Yeah, your mom's from my mom's from uh, Prince Edward Island. Yeah, pretty close. But went to Dalhousie University in Halifax. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Elsie was born in New Glasgow. Okay. Right at the beginning of the bridge to PEI. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. So you, you met, how old was she when you met her? Um, I was 15. She was 17. What? Maybe what? I shouldn't what? have said that. Maybe I shouldn't have Hill. said that. Well, I'm not going to tell you how many years ago it was. <laughs> and we started going back and forth between Peterborough and Kingston. I got my license, got a car, and that happened even more often. Yeah. Um, I had the opportunity in Ontario on that day. You finish high school, you can go into teacher's college and went to teacher's college for a year and then started teaching and what did you uh, taught, right at that. taught music? Um, that you said? I, I did one year eventually, but the first five years I spot, taught, taught what we referred to then as emotionally disturbed children, oh, okay. special needs kids, behavioral issues. Okay. Um, never had more than six kids in the class, K to six, six to 12 years of age, all individualized programming, and there was always a child care worker there ready to deal with the behavioral issues. Okay. 
I learned an awful lot in I five bet. years. <laughs> I bet. Yeah, and it's helped me in pastoral ministry in many ways through the years, too. I worked for one month mm-hmm. in a school in Dallas that mm-hmm. uh, was was sp- set up specifically for ADD and ADHD kids. So we didn't a, have those labels then. Yeah. But, uh, the, yeah. I actually ended up quitting because I honestly could not handle it. I, I'm, I don't cry. And mm-hmm. yet one of them brought me near t- tears. I was, I could not control anyone. It was like, yep. I actually went down to the office at one point, came back and one of the kids who is sort of the alpha male mm-hmm. there who had ADHD had lined up all the ADD. Some, some, some kids with ADD, it, it affects them by, so they just get, they get really uh, reserved and yep. quiet. Yeah. And Not then other kids, they get hyper. Right. And so he was one of the hyper kids and he had lined up all of the, the kind of sedate kids against the wall and he was hitting hockey pucks at them. <laughs> and I was I was gone uh, like two minutes, yeah. and I thought, yeah. "What is this?" And so I was there for about a month, and then I said, "I cannot, I cannot do this." I I loved it, I really did. But after doing it for five years, that that was it. Yeah. God bless yeah. the folks who are who are serving in that kind of capacity. Honestly, it's, totally. it's such a rich blessing to have them serve that way. Like our ministry yep. here. Our Imagine Ministry. I thank oh, God for the people involved in that. I just think it's awesome. Sure. My nephew is a special needs boy, and I mm. it's it takes a special measure of patience and grace, and a lot of will. Mm-hmm. And yet, I just thank God for all of them. Yep, you learn a lo- awful lot about yourself when you're yeah. doing it. <laughs> that's, that's what I was, what I was afraid of. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> I learned that I'm a quitter. Uh, um, no. So you you and your wife were involved it in, you came out to Langley after how many years were you serving in? We'd been pastors for 12 years. Okay. Yeah. But at what, how many churches prior uh, to coming to Langley? Three. Three churches. Yeah. Did they usually move people around every few years? We were six years in our first, was, which was an extremely long period of time. Is that on purpose? Do they, do they do that because they want to limit your exposure or your, yeah. is it for the people or for you? The goal has been for decades to lengthen that amount of time. But a move happens because somebody in another position is transferred on, and therefore there's a vacuum, so that we need somebody to fill that yeah, one. So we need one. Fall. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Oh, wow. So you came out to Langley. That's a big move. Like Tot- when they yeah. came and told you, you're going to move to Langley, did you, how did you respond? This one was different to, in some extent because it was a different vision of what it meant to be a Salvation Army church. And we had had a conversation prior to that. Um, is this something you could see yourself doing? And uh, we went, our, our kids at that point, our oldest boy had just finished high school. Our middle son was um, going into grade 11, I believe, and our daughter was in grade nine. Um, oldest boy, he'd been accepted at three universities in Ontario. If we're moving, we're leaving him there. We had to accept that. Our middle son was the biggest issue because he had his plans, what schools he was going to for the next couple of years, and this would just explode the whole thing. Our daughter, grade nine, go with the flow. Um, What ended up happening, though, was we explained the opportunity to the kids when we got back and uh, from that meeting, and Chris said, you belong in in Langley. Hmm. And okay, we're going to make this work somehow. And as it turned out, we all moved out here together. Our oldest boy went to Trinity Western for four years, graduated from there. Uh, Our middle son went through a number of different things, ended up at Trinity for music and arts, and then realized that going into debt like that for a music and arts degree probably was not (laughs) the smartest move. Yeah, and uh, Melody, our youngest, um, ended up going on a mission trip as we moved from here a few years later, and changed her life 
It just totally changed her life. That's fantastic. She yeah. so in Langley though, you were a pastor of a church there for right. where was the church? Um, it was right on 200th Street, around 83rd. Okay. It, at that point, it was a, a Salvation Army uh, Youth Resource Center. Uh, so the church was on the same grounds as a youth sex offenders facility. Oh, wow. Not exactly the best place to grow a children's <laughs> ministry or a family-oriented ministry. Um, <laughs> no. It, you know, the, the property ended up getting sold. They, they turn, changed things around considerably after we were transferred out of there. And uh, now there's a whole bunch of restaurants and stores and everything else that are in that area. Where did you go from there? You were, we were in Kamloops for three years. Oh, wow. Yeah. yeah. Um, wonderful people to work with up there, but we never had a sense that this was God's idea. <laughs> and when you're doing ministry, if you're not 100% certain that this is where God wants you to be, it's really tough. And um, we committed to stay there for three years to see it through. At the end of that, we said to the Salvation Army, we can't do this again. We've got to be 100% certain that it's God who's behind this. When we got the word that we were moving where we were going to, we, no. So we ended up moving to Calgary. I pastored a North American Baptist church there yeah. for a few years. Um, Came back to the Lower Mainland at that point, got involved in financial services, became a certified financial planner for a few years, learned lots, mm. and learned that a lot of conversations about money end up being about spiritual things. Surprise, surprise. Yeah, it's an interesting job in some ways, because <laughs> I imagine that as a financial planner, people will will talk to you. I mean, you're, you're dealing with one of the most sacred things to them. And so I imagine yeah. they would end up having conversations with you about uh, all sorts of stuff. You're talking about priorities. Yeah. What's important to you? And that leads to lots of spiritual conversations as well. At, at that point, I got involved with um, Campus Crusade, um, Power to Change, yep. for a while. And uh, then with the Salvation Army here in Abbotsford, filling in on a maternity leave position. Okay. Then had the, the opportunity to become a chaplain at Mountain um, medium security institution. Spent two and a half years up there. In Agassiz. Agassiz. Yeah, yeah. Where you live? We we did at that time. Okay. We're now in Chilliwack. Okay. But um, yeah, it was a, just a great opportunity there. Um, stress level was huge, yeah. largely because of a lot of stories that you would hear again and again and again. Um, I saw a report not too long ago that something like eighty percent of federal inmates have foster care somewhere in their background. Oh my goodness. And you know, broken families, broken relationships all over the place, and uh, many of them so abusive that uh, it is sickening. So there were days when I'd go home and wash the jail off in the shower and, and try to keep going, but it was hard to get out of your mind. I imagine. Yeah, yeah. And now, and then since then, you've been getting involved in this, in, in kind of, you were involved in a little church, North Fraser. Yep, still am. Still are involved. North Fraser is uh, yep. in Lake Arock. It's, right. If you ever drive by Lake Arock, uh, you could miss this little church. It's across the street from, is it an Esso station? There's a little, uh, there's a little gas station there. It might be Mohawk. Yeah. I'm not sure, but it's the only gas station yeah, and it's, it's right, the only church. Right across the street yeah. is this little church building. It's right on the edge of, uh, it's, Indian, it's a reservation, isn't it? Some uh, All around it, there yeah. are several reservations. Yeah. And yeah. 
have been doing ministry there. They they've been doing ministry there for lots of years, and you have come 62 in sixty-two years, yeah, something like been, that. It's a long time. They've they've struggled in the last little while. I mean, obviously, yep. it's in a location that there's not that many people, and so well, it's it's going to be interesting to see what happens because the church is closing at the end of August. Oh yeah. So I'm committed to stay there through the end of August. Uh, we're going to, you know, we want to do a good funeral. Yeah. And celebrate the history. And then Central Church from Chilliwack is yeah. taking over responsibility for it. Um, they are hiring a church planter because there is development around there. Harrison Mills is growing mm. uh, around the Sasquatch Inn and, and a little bit closer to Agassiz from there. So there is some opportunity for the right church planter to come in, um, which probably means somebody in the 30-ish range yeah. to have the energy needed for that. But they are also planning on hiring a missionary to work with the native population, the yeah. First Nations people around there. So, um, so yeah, this is a net win. I, th- I think so. Absolutely for the church because he, I Absolutely. mean this is the this is the situation quite honestly all across North America. And part of the reason I wanted to chat with you is your mm-hmm. involvement in it. But this is the case in lots of uh, lots of places where you have these small churches that are usually elderly. A lot of a lot of the older people in the church mm-hmm. and. They're just sort of dying away. And so the challenge is becoming, well, what, what do we do? How do, what do yeah. denominations do with them? How do, you, yeah. how, do you, uh, how do you do this? And in this case, you've got a church like uh, Central Community, who's mm-hmm. part of our denomination. Right. And they are saying, okay, we can, we can take, this, we can take this, this work over and mm-hmm. turn it into something uh, profitable for the kingdom. Right. Yeah. It, they, they're biting off an awful lot. Yeah, well, it's central. usually more trouble. There's there's more trouble in these situations than is on. The, you know, it's not just a land acquisition for a church. No, right? It's no. It, it's or a church. It's different than church planting, in the truest sense. Yeah, because you are you are replanting to some degree. There are people who mm-hmm. are there now will probably attend the new iteration. There there will be some. Yeah, but yep. that that and that requires some. It's a challenge for them mm-hmm. because the church that they liked is now no more, and right. maybe the new church coming in is doing something quite a bit different than what it's they did. It's going to have a little different culture, a little different flavor. Yeah. Uh, but I, I remember Peter Wagner a number of years ago was at a church planting conference and yeah. saying, is it easier to raise the dead or to give birth? Yeah. They're both <laughs> miracles. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Raising the dead's hard. <laughs> <laughs> it is. It is. Well, unfortunately, one of the reasons, one of the, uh, there's a reason oftentimes that churches are, are struggling toward the those end of those days. They've either, yep. either made a choice that um, they're not going to reach out, and usually the choice is not something that they. I mean, if you ask the people in the church, do you want to reach out to community? Of course they do. Yeah, it's just that the infighting and the politicking in the church over the years has been such that it's made them take their eyes off of the outwardly and in, in inwardly now. Or mm-hmm. there have been those who've been too strident to. St- to to do what's necessary to reach out, and so it's and if they had known how to do it, yeah. they would have already been doing it. Yeah, and sometimes it's you know when we we've been involved as a church in several, both in consulting some churches in this regard, and mm-hmm. also in in the case of what happened to Mission and now in, in Port Coquitlam, right, doing the same kind of work and. There are just challenges that you you know some there are leadership challenges that existed in those other churches prior to their prior to their their closing yep. that uh, have have paid a significant part in in it in the closing of the of them yeah I, I mean if the leadership the right leadership was there at the right time to face the issues that they were facing 
they probably would not be in this situation. That's not to be critical of the leaders. No, they're trying the best they could. No doubt. No doubt. And sometimes it's skill. Sometimes it's experience. All of these pieces right, come together. Right, but a lot of people get, just get thrown. Most of the people I've spoken to who have been in leadership of churches that are dying mm-hmm. are, are faithful people yep. trying the best they can. Yeah. They just aren't. They just kind of got their stories are always about the same, man. I, I just, I don't know how I ended up doing this. Like right. I, I was just here as an accountant and then all of a sudden <laughs> I got thrown into this yeah. mess and I don't know what, like. It's it, tough. It is tough. And in God's providence, he's placed them in there for this, for those seat for that season. And mm-hmm. um, yeah, I'm thankful for the faithful work that they do. But yeah. sometimes such as the case in North Fraser, the best way forward is, is a new. Yes thing and uh we pray god's blessing on on central and Absolutely. the work they're going to do there yeah yeah this is yeah. there are a lot of churches that are facing this sort of situation and it seems to me that a lot of those churches own property mm-hmm. it seems to me that I, i'm part of church planting yeah. uh, and have been for a while at least at least um part of the discussion around church planting yeah and church plants often one of the first discussions they have is how do i get a we need a building. Mm-hmm. Like, how do we get a building? And and then, on the other hand, I'm also part of, of denominations and through conversations with people who are in churches that have buildings, but that are fading away to some degree or another. And the challenge is that these church plants don't have longevity because they mm-hmm. don't they don't have any like physical presence in there. Oftentimes, they're just meeting. In There's a no gym. anchor. No. And the other church. Those other churches that need re- replanting, quite honestly, have the facilities, have the have the material, physical dwelling spaces that give them longevity, but they don't have the spiritual fervor sometimes or the mm-hmm. momentum mm-hmm. to carry it on. And I have long wanted to see these two married to each other, and because I th- yeah. I think we're going to lose the zoning for a lot of in, the, in in a more hostile secular culture. Yep, you're going to eventually lose zoning. There's cities like uh, Vancouver don't want to zone for churches because they don't get tax currently don't get tax dollars for it yeah there's no new zoning in yeah. the vast majority of places and where there may be existing zoning sometimes those churches end up being sold to other faith groups yeah so they can maintain the zoning yeah but Christ's witness is gone right so there, it's I mean somebody asked me a while ago if I had a whole bunch of money what would you spend it on and mm-hmm. I was I said you know this might not sound like the most uh exciting idea but i would probably spend it on acquiring properties for faithful church plants and replants to see if we can see to see if the the faithful gospel witness continue mm-hmm. in a lot of these communities which are increasingly secular i think about places like south vancouver for example that are yep. just em- enormously secular yep and the loss of a of a physical building in their community might might mean that the church the physical presence of the church in that community is gone for 50 years yeah, and that hurts me. <laughs> yes, yeah, and the re- yeah. and churches, they believe it or not, we're not we're not rich enough usually to buy the to, property to at, land bank. No, we don't have the money to to pay for for. I mean, yeah. the Lord is faithful, and He's going to make sure His church continues in these places. But it seems to me that we have opportunities in the present time to make moves to preserve the future. So those lottery tickets. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> that's what I do. I buy a bunch of lottery tickets so I could win it. And there you go. <laughs> that's right. So anyway, you're you're going and doing this kind of work um, as well now. You have mm-hmm. uh, you have another opportunity to do kind of, kind of a transitional pastor work. Yep. 
It is in South Vancouver. Mm. I don't need to go into great detail, but yeah. all of the issues that you have in any church going through transition, whether it's unity, whether it's um, moral failure, not the case here, but quite often it's moral failure by members of the staff that have led to a split taking place and just overall weakness. Uh, in Vancouver, of course, you're looking at all of the ethnic issues. Those who started the church can't afford to live there anymore. Their kids move out to the suburbs. Now what do you do? Yeah. The, um, you look at other language groups coming in, and it's a challenge. How do you reach all of these different groups? And how? Do, what is God's vision for right. that church going forward? So what is your role? Like, how do you, when you go into a situation like this, what, mm-hmm. what are you thinking? Like, wait. You, how do you, how do you understand the call of God to be in this place? Is you're just you thinking to yourself, look, I'm just going to go and I'm going to try to f- preach faithfully, and that's it? Or do you no. go in and think, okay, I I need to discern these things, and what, what what goes on in your mind? A lot of strategic planning, a lot of looking at what are the issues right now that need to be faced and overcome to be ready for the next step, whether that's unity or. Uh, it's just there is so much hurt and pain because of some of the activities of the leaders, the former pastor, whatever that happens to be. Um, and then it starts looking over the long run, trying to discern what is God's overall vision for this ministry, working with the congregation to help them to discern what that is. Is this going to be a multi-ethnic church, a multilingual church? Um, is it going to be focusing on a particular group, whether that's Vietnamese or Punjabi or Germans or whatever it's going to be, and helping them to realize what it is that God is leading them towards? Then you can start looking for the right pastor to give leadership to that. So it's... Would it be a mistake for them to go and find a I mean, because that's the temptation of a church like this has. Instead of yeah. getting a transitional pastor, they're going to go find a new guy because he's the solution. At least, I mean, that's the attitude, right? Just get the right guy, put him in the spot, away we go. And that has been what the church has largely done over the years, um, where the whole idea of a transitional pastor is very intentional. Pause. Let's look at this. Let's see, are we really doing what God wants us to do as a church? Are we really being what God wants us to be? Every church is a little bit different. Northview is very uniquely different than uh, Pentecostal assemblies here mm-hmm. or uh, Seven Oaks or, you know, that are kind of in the same size range. They all have different characteristics. They've got different personalities and will reach different parts of our communities. If Northview was, had historically been reaching people who don't live here anymore— <laughs> It's time to refresh the vision for the church. Say, okay, so this has happened. What's God's plan? Who does he want us to focus on? How should we be doing that? And then kind of make relatively broad parameters, realizing that God is also going to call a pastor within that range who is going to narrow that focus even more. Hmm. And it's about giving leadership to help the congregation discern what God's will is for their future, to make the right choices, sometimes to pay the prices that need to be paid along the way. Uh, So in some ways it's like replanting, um, 
but yet it's different from that as well. So what is, what's the best part of it for you of this kind of work? I mean, when you think about it, like what's the driving desire to do it? Not everybody want to do this. No. And, and part of it, Elsie and I were talking as we were, we were in Burnaby last night with our daughter. And as we were driving out this way, talking about just that, because this is a short term type of proposition, six months to two years. Um, most pastors don't think in terms of six months to two years. No. <laughs> it's considerably longer Unless than that. You're a youth pastor. <laughs> who is usually looking to become know, a senior pastor do somewhere do down the road. Um, and I'm not at the stage of life where it makes sense for me to go into a position and say, yep, you can count on me to be here for 10 to 15 years. That may be what happens, you know, who knows. But um, I can see doing this several times around before it's time to hang up the cleats and and move on from there into something different or into retirement. That'd be nice. Um, although having been in ministry for no long for so long, I can't imagine ever not well, doing ministry. Well, it's quite an important, and honestly, it is quite a v- valuable work. It's a unique kind of work. Yeah. It's a missions kind of work. You, you. I mean, I know you're not going to Bangladesh, mm-hmm. but but you are going to a location where there is an existing church that, that needs that needs some shepherding, mm-hmm. and and setting that church up in a position where they become a little bit more of a draw, perhaps, to a new pastor, but also yeah. in a place where they're able to identify. Okay, so here's what's going on around us. Here's the community. Here's some of the challenges that we face. How, let's see if we can sort some sort through some of this stuff. Yeah. Establish some foundations. And start to move forward as a church. That mm-hmm. that is a remarkably important work. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It, there's two things that I love more than just about anything else. One is teaching. I that has never left me. I love teaching Bible study groups. I love the teaching preaching mm-hmm. ministry that I've been able to involved with at North Fraser over the last year or so. Um, and the other part, though, is that strategic planning. It's helping people to see the end from the beginning. What's the big picture? Now let's narrow it down to the actual work on the ground that needs to be done. So what's the worst part? In fact, I, more, <laughs> more generally speaking, yeah. you've been involved in ministry for so many years. Mm-hmm. What I'm interested in hearing from you is, because there's a lot of people listening to, to this who are not, they're not pastors, not right. thinking about being pastors. Can you tell me, some of the things that 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 church people do that ruin the church. That if if, the, if they're listening, sure, certainly they're not doing these things. But like yeah. after all of these years of ministry, you look back and you think, look, these these are things that that we Christians do to that destroy churches. My way or the highway. This is the way my church must be, or I'm going to withdraw my support financially prayerfully um, in terms of the hours that I will commit to it, except that in most cases, sorry, in many cases, <laughs> continue to hang around and just stick needles in, try to make things more difficult, whether there's an agenda, I want to get rid of the guy, um, or far more subtle than that. Um, I want to influence as many people as I can to, uh, to fight against what is going on. Aren't some things worth fighting for, though? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. They are. When, when I met with, with the group in Vancouver last night, I, one of the best quotes that I have is, if you and I agree on everything, one of us is unnecessary. <laughs> we spur one another on. We encourage one another. Um, iron sharpens iron. 
that needs to be part of the process. But if it's not in an atmosphere of love, hmm. you completely miss the point. Yeah. Yeah. There's a book that was written in the 1980s called Well-Intentioned Dragons. Yep. That I think yep. is... Uh, it, it, I, Eason? I, Bill yeah, Eason? I think so. I, I, yeah. The book, my father-in-law, who was a pastor, gave it to me when I first entered ministry. He mm. said, this, this is the problem with the church. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and actually, he said, he's the great... He told me that in that moment, he said, the great sin of the church is actually pettiness. And yep. and by that, he mean he meant, look, it's not that the people who are doing these things are not well-intentioned. They certainly are. They have all sorts of passion in yep. many way, cases for good things, sound doctrine, sound whatever. They just tend to have raised up usually a disputable matter, mm-hmm. usually something that, that is not clear in mm-hmm. scripture, like, like the color of the carpet. Now we make fun right. of that color of the carpet, but, but, yep. but not clear, like how you raise your kids, how you do that, that, that. Yep. And they turn that into something that they're willing to go to the mattresses for. They're going to fight, fight, mm-hmm. fight, fight for this, for this yeah. thing. And then they turn it into a, a righteousness issue. Yeah. And Bill Eason also wrote a great book. Uh, if I'm not mistaken, the title was Sacred Cows Make Gourmet Burgers. Yeah. <laughs> and it's the same kind of thought that if somebody's got a sacred cow, they've got an idea, and this is the best thing that ever could possibly happen and won't let go of it, won't work with other people. That Maybe there's parts of it that work here that make sense, mm-hmm. other parts that don't. But that's all part of the growth process and well, part of the a, challenge of being a family. There's a support. There's a certain kind of humility that's required, though. Mm-hmm. To, to, to be somebody who is a faithful follower of Jesus yeah. in general, and in particular, a good churchman. Uh, that's an old word, but a, mm-hmm. a churchwoman, a churchman, like a, somebody who is committed to the local church, to a yeah. family, you have to have humility. If you don't have humility and a willingness to work together with other people, it might go well for a little while while you yeah. have the power in your hands. But when that stops or somebody else comes along with a better idea or maybe does something does is better than you at particular things, mm-hmm. man, the fight is on and the church is going to pay the price for it. And the kingdom. Yeah. 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 And then enters you because now you got to re- <laughs> you gotta, you gotta refresh the thing. And many instances that's the starting point there needs to be that healing taking place and a lot of times healing follows surgery yeah absolutely yeah phil it's been great talking to you thank you so much for coming in and chatting uh god bless you in your work in the days ahead and you in yours thanks brother okay we'll talk to you guys next time